Good morning, Grace Place family. We are in our God Talk series, uh, and this focus this uh, year is about courage. And we have seen a lot of demonstrated courage across the nation in the face of all the things that we've faced, uh, the pandemic, the social unrest, all of the things that have been going on. We have seen some beautiful cases of people who have risen as uh, believers to stand in the gap, uh, to stand in courage, and we're grateful for that. This morning, we're going to be looking at a passage out of Joshua chapter 1, if you want to find your way there. Joshua chapter 1, this is the beginning of the Joshua generation, and uh, it sets us up in terms of understanding how that we are now those who are standing in the generation to hear from God and to move forward. It's always interesting how, you know, we, we come to have filters in our life for various kinds of things. We, be all, we become dependent on those filters in a way, and uh, we hear life through those filters. And uh, this is uh, the beginning of the Joshua generation was where God said, I'm removing uh, your, your key filter here, and you're going to go forward in obedience to me, hearing from me and directed by me on a day-by-day basis. You and I are living in such an hour as the Joshua generation where God is saying, I'm speaking to you personally. I'm speaking to you and I want you to follow and obey what I'm asking you to do. Let's take a look at Joshua chapter 1, beginning at uh, verse 1. Joshua chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun. Side joke um, that always comes up when I read this passage. Uh, who was born without a father? Joshua, he was the son of none. <laughs> I got nothing, okay. <laughs> After the death of, of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel, every place the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. As I said to Moses from the wilderness and uh, this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all of the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea towards uh, the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you, Do not turn it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it uh, day and night, 
that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will be a good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. An interesting observation about this text, and that is that it begins by saying, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua. I think this is significant for many reasons, but it's significant in this particular passage uh, because in just as we were stating in the opening remarks that we tend to have filters through which we listen and hear, and we do so with God. We have filters through which we hear God. There are patriarchs in every one of our lives that we look up to, people that we believe are faithful, who, have, who love God, who are passionate about Him, through which we regularly listen and hear to God. Nothing wrong with us uh, listening and hearing God through the voice of others that God has placed in our lives. But the important thing is there are seasons and times, and, in, and we are living in one right now, where God removes that, that filter and He says, I'm going to speak to you. Moses is gone. Moses, the servant of the Lord, is gone, and now I'm going to be speaking to you. We tend to, to be more receptive to God's voice when we hear it uh, with the face that we are familiar with, with the, the, the person that we have identified as being a mature and, 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 and uh, believer or Christian in our life who's speaking into our lives. It might be for you a parent. It could be for you a pastor, a teacher, a specific person that has influenced your life. And we tend to hear God's voice through that person. Even when we are reading the Word of God, sometimes we will hear that person saying that passage in our minds and in our hearts. But this is a transitional moment, a transformational moment for Joshua. No longer are you going to have that filter. You're not going to be able to lean on Moses. You're not going to hear me through Moses. You're not going to understand me through Moses. You are going to speak to me directly and I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to direct your life. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to give instruction. You're going to lead this people. This is going to be known, not as the Moses generation, but as the Joshua generation. You're going to take new territory, a new land, where I'm taking you. Everything that, that Joshua had heard up to this point was through the leader Moses. He had become accustomed to the voice of Moses and, and uh, the the, the accent of Moses and, and how Moses would, would refer to God and, and probably could finish the sentence for him once he started it. It got about halfway through. He was so familiar with Moses and Moses was the one giving direction and insight to his life. Moses was the patriarch. And it brings up the question for us today, when your patriarch dies, will your faith die too? This was a transitional, transformational moment for Joshua, when your patriarch dies, Joshua, will your faith continue? Will you continue to believe me for what I have promised? Will you continue to believe me and follow my instructions and let me lead you into a new land? 
Whenever your patriarch, whenever that person who most represents God for you is no longer in the picture, that filter is no longer there, will you be able to hear from God, follow God, and obey His commands? We have all become too accustomed to shortcutting our walk with God by virtue of listening to someone else. We used to have on an annual basis uh, David Osselbrook at our church when we were in Phoenix. Just uh, a dynamic, um, prophetic kind of speaker. And uh, we would have him uh, usually a week in, in, uh, in the course of the year, have him come and speak to us. David had this brilliant mind. Uh, and he would, he would read from Scripture, and he had, he had recall and memory of what these words were from Strong's Concordance, you know, in the Greek, in the Hebrew, in the Aramaic. He would be able to tell you not only what they meant, describe, say the word in Greek, Aramaic, or, or in Hebrew, but then he would also tell you in the Strong's Concordance what number it was. That's number 1117 had this amazing, amazing mind. But David was one of those guys that would shortcut the word for, uh, for people because he did such deep research and study, and he, and he provided shortcuts for, for God's family. But I remember one, one evening he was speaking, and he said to us, he said, Jesus is referred to here as the right hand uh, of God. Do you know why Jesus is called the right hand? And everybody's just pulls their pens out, they're ready. He goes, you're going to have to go study it and find out for yourself. <laughs> and it was just this gasp in the congregation that for once, they were going to have to carry out the learning on their own. They were no longer going to be dependent on someone uh, doing all the work and the research and the study for them. They were going to have to be the ones to go and find out what that meant. And so here we are today at that kind of a moment and it is, it is a moment where it's very dangerous. It's very dangerous for uh, Joshua. It's very dangerous in his time and his people. But it's very dangerous for you and I today to stand in a moment like this where God says, what you, the way you've been hearing through another voice, the way you've been shortcutting to hear my voice, it's not happening anymore. I'm looking to you to come and spend time in my presence. I'm looking for you to dig in my word and to discover the truths that I have for your life. I am, I am re, I'm requiring you to dig in and to get engaged. And the, the danger is this, that if you and I don't, we can succumb to a social gospel. We can succumb to, to a gospel that is popular in culture. And let me tell you the difference between a social gospel and a biblical gospel. We're facing it right now in, in, in the movements that are going on across our nation. And, and the, the crying out for social justice is uh, connected to a social gospel. Now, it's been around longer than just 2020. It's been going on forever. In fact, I'm going to read you a quote in just a moment. And this goes back to the early 1900s. They were facing that kind of thing, a, a social gospel that people would try to bring in. What is that social gospel? Those who are trying to practice a social gospel, they see this book. They see this book right here as a reference book to find proof text for what they prefer, feel, and want to be true. Hello. Social gospel is people who will use this, 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 the Bible as a text 
book that they pull off the shelf to find proof texts that will agree with how they prefer, they feel, and they want things to be. A biblical gospel is, is found by those who, who will navigate through the Scriptures and, and will, will read from cover to cover to ascertain what God is saying, how we should live, how we should walk, and how we should obey Him. This book uh, is, is life and breath to those who are a part of a biblical gospel. It is God-breathed. It is inspiring to them. It's what they live by. It doesn't sit on the shelf and we wait for the moment that we can pull it off and find a proof text for what we prefer or we want to be true. Listen, I said I was going to read a, a, uh, a, a quote for you from theological ethicist Richard Niebuhr. And here's what he wrote. He noted the danger of the invasion of the social gospel, one that is rooted uh, you know, outside of a, a, a biblical faith, and it's, it's in cultural appeasement. It's wrapped up in cultural appeasement. This goes to the early 1900s. And he described the social gospel movement as a religion that looked to a God without wrath, a God without wrath bringing men without sin into a kingdom without judgment, through the menstruation of Christ without the cross. It is not a gospel at all. It is not the gospel at all. A God without wrath. Bringing men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without the cross. It is a gospel that wants to reject everything that the gospel is really all about. Sacrifice, suffering, worshiping God and putting Him first in all that we do. Letting Him identify who we are and what we are to do. Joshua was, for the first time here, hearing the voice of God directly, and it was time for him to lead the people. God said, this is a very important transitional, transformational time for you. Either you're going to, to learn how to put into practice the words and things that I'm commanding and leading, or you're going to fall aside and be one more generation that lost out with a real connection with a real God who created the universe. The text says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over Jordan, you and all this people, the land which I am giving them. The children of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, have I given you, as I said to Moses. Four things here that God's saying in the opening to Joshua that are so key for you, Joshua, to to success moving forward without your filter, without another voice speaking for me, you're listening to me. This is key. Arise and go. I remember a challenge that came to me several years ago. We were entering a major building campaign uh, for our church in Phoenix. And for the size of our church, it was, it was a big, big chunk of change that we were going to have to do this, this remodel. And it was way, way overdue. And so needed. And so I spent the whole year, you know, just, just talking about, we had 
messages and series challenging the people to rise up. We had, a, we had our own in-house kind of capital stewardship campaign. And at the end of that year, uh, you know, we, we had only raised $10,000. And Michelle and I had given 5000 of it. I was beyond discouraged, all right? <laughs> and I went to this men's meeting. Uh, it was a pastor's meeting, pastor's gathering. It was our kind of annual gathering there for ministers. And we got together, and uh, this, this guy, Respect, uh, and uh, pastor, he, he approached me and he said, you know, how's, how's the building campaign coming? His name is Paul Hamby. And I said, well, Paul, I... We, we, you know, we've been fundraising all year, and, and we've only come up with $10,000. And so I said, I've, you know, the plans and everything else, you know, the, just the plans alone to get them approved through the city, it, it's going to be $15,000 just to do that. And he, he didn't, like, sympathize with me and, you know, oh, you know, you have it hard, you have it bad. He stepped back as if I had struck him <laughs> in the face. And he said, what's wrong with you? Are you starting a savings account? Or are you building the kingdom for God? And man, it hit me right between the eyes. And that moment was such a God moment for me. And, and all of the, the, the predecessing voices that were speaking to me before disappeared. And I realized I have got to hear from God. I went back home after that and I said, God, we're going to start spending money. We spent money. We spent uh, $75,000 over the next six months. That year we closed our books and we had $10,000 in the bank. Arise and go. Arise and go. He didn't say, you know, um, I'm going to do something magical that's going to give you the confidence. Arise and go. Get up. Get off your seat. Stop being fearful. Rise up. He said, you and all this people. You're the leader now. Lead these people. Josh is like, well, I, didn't, I don't know if I signed up for this, but okay. Here we go. And he says, to a land which I am giving them. We're going to talk about this again in a moment. It's, it's a promise. It's a promise. And this faith that you and I practice as Christians, it is different. It is different from what the, the faith the world talks about. Their hopes and their dreams all packaged up, and if certain things go right, we have a surety in our faith. It's certain. And God said, to the land which I'm giving you. And then he, he, he closes out that remark with something powerful. As I said to Moses, you saw all of the miraculous things I did as you walked through the wilderness from the beginning from the parting of the Red Sea, from the manna that came down from heaven, from the cloud pillar of cloud by day and, and fire by night. You saw the miraculous things from water that came forth out of a rock. You have seen it. And as I was with him, I'm going to be with you. God follows this command to, Moses, uh, to Joshua by just kind of doing a land survey again, reminding him. 
All the things that the land of the Hittites and all this is going to be yours, as far as the sun is, that you can see on the horizon right now. And as it sets, that's your land. You're going to see it. It's going to be yours. And then God says to him, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. There are are moments that you have felt this. It's been very real that you've wondered, you know, where's God? And and what side is God on anyway? Because things don't seem to be falling in place as they should. I'm certain our friends in California were listening to Pastor MacArthur in the opening. I'm certain that many of them are like, where is God? How come these, these restrictions are preventing us from coming together and meeting and carrying out biblical scripture, what God says, that we're to break bread together, we're to have community together. Where is God? How come God is not on our side? And God is just reminding us, you know, what you need to understand is I've always been on your side. I'm always with you, for you, and in you. The important question you need to be asking is whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? And then God carries him through this, this, uh, these three courage challenges. Three courage challenges. Be strong and of good courage. And he follows it with a, a covenant we'll take a look at in a moment. In this instance, I keep my promises. The second time he says, only be strong and very courageous. And he's, he's saying, obey me. Obey me. And the third time he says, be strong and of good courage, he says, get rid of fear. It should have no place in you. It has no room in you. You live differently from the rest of the world. I don't want to see it on your face or in your heart. Have no fear. I am with you every step of the way. Now, each of these courage challenges is followed by a covenant, that, a binding covenant statement that God has with his people, has always had with his people. And so they, these were things, as God is saying them to him, that, that were rehearsed in their gatherings as Israel. And they were so familiar, but now Joshua is hearing them in a brand new way, right? He's not saying, oh, uh, boy, I hope Moses listened good, man, because, God, that was powerful, man. I hope he leads us just like God said. Today is the day that Joshua has to be the one, right? And, and he gets to, to live these words out. So the first one is be, be of good courage. It's followed by this people shall, you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to your fathers to give them. Man, I cannot emphasize how much that we need to understand that this faith walk that we have, when we define our faith, we are talking about a surety, a promise from God. We are not talking about things that the world talks about when they talk about faith. If everything goes right, I might be able to retire in like 20 years instead of 30. If everything goes well, then, I, then this girl might marry me. This, this guy you know, might ask me to marry him. If everything goes appropriately, and these are the, the kinds of belief systems and faith that are, that are in our world. But you and I are standing up saying, it's a surety. God has given us the land. They could point over the river Jordan and say, that is mine. That's where I'm going to build my house. That's what God has given to us. That is the land that we are going to have. It's as sure as, as, as me standing right here and breathing right now. It's as certain as that. 
This faith that I have is not a loose uh, kind of hopeful belief and wishful thing. It is a certainty that I'm standing in, in God. Amen? Amen. Come on. Wake up. Let's, let's love on Jesus. Amen? And he says, secondly, only be strong and very courageous. He follows that one, the second one, by saying, do not turn from it to the right or to the left. Talking about God's word. That you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, and, uh, and that you may observe to do all according to what is written in it, for then you will, it will make your way prosperous. Prosperous. It's a book that we need. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God to prosper. How are we going to prosper? Okay. Now there's, there's financial gospel preachers that are talking about the prosperity gospel. Okay. That's not what we're referring to here. But it happens. God does bless us financially. Every provision that you have has come from him. Everything. Everything that you have has come from God. This kind of prosperity, though, is bigger than that. It's the kind of prosperity that you and I can live in this time which we are living in right now and and live in full faith and confidence that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. We are prospering as the, the true church of Jesus Christ. Now, we, you know, across the nation here, we've been exposed. A lot of pastors are talking about it. Uh, you know, I've, I've read more blogs and heard more sermons, you know, about how exposed they, that many have been about, you know, how big the church was. They thought it was a lot bigger. But let me tell you this. It's strong. It's vibrant. And it's mighty. It's powerful. Right? God only needed 300 men with Gideon to take care of 22,000 Amalekites. So bigness is no big deal to God, right? But the true church, those who belong, are prospering. They're prospering in a season right now when, when everybody else is discouraged, in some instances suicidal, marriages are in trouble. The true church is prospering. It is, it is an unbelievable contrast for the world to look at. I love some of the stories that are coming out of the Just Worship uh, movement that's taking place that Sean Fowle is leading uh, across the nation. And they, they had one in, in uh, Chicago where they were singing and worshiping and, and groups of Antifa came against them. And the guy had a bullhorn and he finally, in, in, in his frustration, comes back to his friends and he goes, the louder I yell, the happier they get. And one of the Antifa members with his shirt on uh, came to Christ and was baptized there in Chicago. And and life changed around. The church is vibrant. The church is prospering. John MacArthur's uh, church is is a great example. And on a a great day, you know, their church was was running, you know, between six and seven thousand people. They They have been flooded every single service. I mean... Near 10,000 people coming to church to worship God. The true church of Jesus Christ has always been fine. 
It's always been fine. It's always good. Don't get discouraged. Don't get down. The true church has always been vibrant, has been strong, has been prospering in the midst of of abundance and in the midst of, of famine. The true church is doing great. It's doing awesome. Be strong and be of good courage. The third one, he says, do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The fear nots of the Bible. I've often said that uh, when, you know, when God says them, a lot of times it's too late, right? <laughs> it's like, they're already fearing, that's why he's saying it, fear not, you know. There's the, the disciples on the ship is tossing and, and uh, you know, it looks like they're going to uh, sink and, and die in the ocean. And Jesus says, fear not. They're like, too late, you know. <laughs> but what's being talked about here is a way of living and a way of understanding. It doesn't mean you'll never have moments where you're afraid or you're, you're fearful about something uncertain. It, it is that in the long term, you're anchored in something that overcomes that fear. Perfect love overcomes fear. And I'm anchored in it. And so I can't carry this around. It's, it has no place, really. It does come, and it, it, does, it does make me think, and, and it, it makes me pause for a moment. And, and there are waves of this that might come in. But I'm anchored in this true love, and it just makes fear go away. 2020 is intended to be a wake-up call for the church. I believe it. And we, I think, I want to encourage you not to hide, not to be afraid, not to isolate. There are four things we can take home from what we talked about today. Number one is God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. All of them. All of them. All of them. God keeps them. The second thing is to obey his word and answer his call. Rise up. Get up. God's speaking to you. There's nothing that should paralyze the church of Jesus Christ. Nothing. From following mission and doing what God's called you to do. In the midst of this, we have had encounters uh, like we have never had before, you know, uh, as a church, where we have gone into neighborhoods and prayed over people. Incredible things that God is leading. You have had opportunities to minister to some of your neighbors, to carry food to people, to do things that you, you, you haven't done in the past. It's, it's been a moment to arise and to go and to do something that God has called you to do. Third thing is give no place to fear and do not be moved by what you see. It's so difficult for us and as we move closer to the election, you know, and we're such a divided nation, we are a divided nation, and it's, it's, it's a lack of, of humility in us sometimes that, um, you know, we, we disrespect, uh, you know, one another about uh, things that people are thinking about as they go into this election. You know, uh, each one of us can certainly tell everyone else, you know, what we believe and what we think should happen in this election. And yet there's, there, there needs to be some humility in, in, in terms of our sense of, of prayer and commitment to God that this, this is our nation. And it does not matter who's standing at the, at the helm, right? The government is on his shoulders. <laughs> Amen? I mean, I, I have a candidate I'd like to see win. 
But if it doesn't happen, the government is on his shoulders. It's not a moment for us to panic, but it is a moment for us to prepare and get ready. We have seen signs of what the enemy wants to do in the United States. And this agenda will be carried forward. Sooner or later, it will be carried forward. And so it's time for us to wake up. But it's not time for us to be fearful or to be dismayed. Our God is bigger than all those circumstances. This is a, a moment like, for me, these, this, this last year has been a, such a reminder, like a flashback to the 70s. We talked a lot about, uh, it was the Maranatha movement. Even so, come Lord Jesus, you know. Uh, it, was, it was a time that we were hearing constantly about the coming of the Lord. And then over time, you know, that, that message was not as constant and not as prevalent. And it just seems like I'm hearing it through your voices constantly now. Jesus, come. It's like, yes, we've had enough. <laughs> Jesus, come. But if you don't come, help me live. Help me live strong. Help me live obedient to what you've called me to do. And number four, God is with you, in you, and for you, wherever you go. The question is not, God, what's, what side are you? He's always been for you. He went all the way, right? The question is, whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? Are you using this as a reference book for your social gospel? Or is it life and breath and sustenance to you? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. After the death of Moses. We were writing uh, our story today. We might write it, and we're writing it for Scripture. God asked us to write it. It might, it might start out something like this, as the Joshua generation. After a pandemic year in 2020, the church fully awakened, and courageous men and women rose up to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and a dying world. Why do we need to proclaim the gospel to a lost and dying world. There's one thing that's systemic in our world and systemic in America, and that is evil. 2 Corinthians 4 4 says, In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Evil is systemic in mankind. Christian author and blogger Jason Bradley wrote this, Systemic evil denotes diabolical structures that perpetuate misery, corruption, and wrongdoing. It's a machine that functions without any real control or oversight by any individual. It's a machine. Somebody turned it on, and it's just running. And you and I are seeing it every day. The level of corruption in our world is, is incredible. And I think over this year has been exposed more than, than ever before in the history of mankind. We always knew there was corruption. There were backroom deals. But it's like no one's trying to hide it anymore. No one's trying to disguise it anymore. They're just throwing up on the sidewalk. All of the filth uh, of, 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 of hell is just being propagated uh, on the front pages 
Uh, we're seeing it without any kind of, of like cloak and dagger. It is just there for all of us visibly to see. So how is it that Satan is the God of this world, according to 2 Corinthians 4.4? 4? The phrase God of this world or God of this age indicates that Satan is the major influence, influence on ideas, opinions, goals, hopes, views for the majority of people that live on this planet. His influence also encompasses the world's philosophies, education, and commerce. The thoughts and ideas and speculations and false religions of the world are under the, his control and have sprung from the lies and the deceptions that he has. And every generation thinks that they're born again in their understanding of how to to live out these philosophies. And they're tried and old and ancient, and they go all the way back to the time of Jesus, and, and, and they were being practiced in those days, and they've just been brought forward and rebranded and renamed and, and slopped with some, some uh, you know, makeup and, and some lipstick to make them look pretty and to make a, a young uh, culture think they're carrying something new that's never been around before, no one's ever understood, and it's just being dragged around like a dead body from generation to generation to generation. It's that diabolical machine of the God of this world pumping out all of this and being bought and sold by the majority of our world is why we need to rise up as a church and preach the true gospel of Jesus Christ. God's been speaking to us through these God talks. He always does. Not just what the filter is saying here, right? <laughs> but what the Holy Spirit is saying to your hearts. What He's speaking directly to you. What He is saying in these moments between my breaths and speaking deeply into your heart. You know it to be true. That God is with you. That God is in you. That God is for you. But have you made that full 100% commitment to Him? Are you on His side? Have you been asking the question over your lifetime, whose side is God on anyway? Things aren't really going as they should go. People that have say, I'm done with God because we haven't been able to have a child. Or I'm done with God because... I have no life made, or I'm done with God because I just can't keep a job. I'm done with God because of all different kinds of circumstances. I lost somebody I cared about or loved and, and wanted to love. God is with you. God is in you. And God is for you. While you were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us. This life is not all it's about. We have eternity. We've been investing all of our energy if I had a rope that just ran across the front of this, I love that Francis Chan analogy, that rope that just ran all the way across the stage and out into affinity, just went on and on forever. And at the end of that rope, I just I, I took about four inches of, of yellow tape and I rolled around it. Get it, that picture in your mind. There's four inches of yellow tape on this rope and the rest of it is just open rope all the way into eternity. 
Those four inches represent our life here on earth. It's, it's, it's brief. It's a fraction of time. And we're pouring everything we have into that and trying to understand everything about that, right? And getting angry at God about that. And God's saying, there's all of this that I'm preparing you for. There's all of this that's going to be a joy to have you in and a part of. And the world out there doesn't know that. They're, they're, they're existing right there. And that little four inches of yellow tape, that's, that's where they exist. That's all life is about. And God is calling to us as a church, it's time for us to be committed. This is not to be sitting on the bookshelf, to be pulled out to find proof text for what we now believe about culture and the new kinds of things that are going on that never went on before. Nobody ever had an identity crisis in the Bible. Nobody ever did. A few Romans, maybe. It was a Caliglia that used to walk around in a dress, you know. That's that's never been a problem before, you know. So let me find a proof text that just says that all you Christians are haters. Let me see where that is. Oh, this is life. This is breath. Father, we love you. We love you so deeply. The true church is connected to the head of the body. You are the one that gives instructions, guidance, direction. In the next few moments, we're going to respond to the challenge, Lord, to answer the call. To arise at the Joshua generation in great courage to say, that this book is not sitting on the shelf as a book that we will look to to find out and to degrade people on social media to show them how unloving they are, how unkind they are. But it's God-breathed. I'm starving to death when I don't feast on this book on a daily basis. My spirit man starves to death when this is not brought to life through the power of the Holy Spirit. As I read these words, they are no longer just words, but they are life. The Spirit gives them life. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. I live by every word that proceeds out of your mouth. Every word, Lord. Father, we may have at one point or another asked, the question, God, whose side are you on? When things didn't go right, when the world wasn't looking as we thought it should, when the things that we thought belonged to us didn't belong to us, the things that we were certain we would uh, get that we desired and wanted, we didn't get. Lord, will we lose someone that we care about, we love? we face some real crisis and challenge, depression, discouragement, we may have asked, whose side are you on? But this morning, Lord, we are reordering that because we understand 
even when Moses dies, that you speak to Joshua. Lord, you love us. You're for us. You are with us and you're in us. And so God, today, we're declaring we are on your side. I want to ask you as our worship team is coming, in, in a statement, I'm on your side, God. I would, I would invite you to stand this morning. Lord, I'm standing because I'm with you. You're with me, in me, and for me, and I'm with you. 100%, God, I belong to you. Let's take a moment just to worship him and to thank him. Lord, you are the Lord and the leader of our lives. We give ourselves wholly and completely to you. We invite you, God, to bring about the transformation that is needed for this transitional moment in which we live. We will no longer hear, Lord, just through a filter, but we are hearing, God, directly from you for us. We hear your voice speaking to us. We hear your call calling to us. We know you are with us. We know you are in us, and we know you are for us. And God, we're standing to declare we are with you. We are in you, and we are for you. We love you, Jesus. We praise you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Let's worship him in song.